You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Hello, my name is Melissa Peterson from Harris Beach, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm joined by Laura Smalley and Neil Slifkin, two attorneys who litigate intellectual property matters. Today, we're discussing a legal success story that has been mentioned numerous times in Law 360. The $12 million judgment that Harris Beach won for our client is O'Golf. Neil and Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Melissa. Can you take us back to the beginning of that case? Sure. The beginning of the case starts with a man named T.J. Izzo, who invented the dual-strap golf bag. T.J. was an avid golfer and injured his back. He ended up in the hospital, and he was wondering how he was ever going to golf again. And as the story goes, as he tells it, he conceived of the dual-strap golf bag while lying on his back in the hospital bed. The strap design was made uh, such that the weight of the clubs would be distributed equally on both shoulders and wouldn't put undue strain on his back. He filed his patent application and launched a company based on that patent and a number of others. Izzo Golf Company, the owner of the patent, began to pursue infringers. At some point, the dual strap system became very successful in the industry. And Izzo Golf went after all major golf bag manufacturers, some of the biggest names in sporting goods in the country. And they all settled either early on in the litigation or a little bit further into the litigation, taking a license and paying royalties to Izzo Golf. One manufacturer, however, King Parr, refused to take a license, refused to settle. King Parr was a manufacturer of low-cost, high-volume golf bags sold in stores such as Dick's Sporting Goods, Walmart, other major retailers. He was selling bags by the millions, and those bags included the patented dual strap that was owned by Izzo Golf. So we sued King Parr Golf, and that case took a while to work its way through the system, and eventually uh, we obtained summary judgment of infringement, summary judgment of no invalidity of the patents, setting the case up for a trial on damages. Can you share some of the challenges that arose in this litigation and how our team addressed them? One of the first challenges was that despite the size and apparent sophistication of King Parr, it had over 100 employees and sold bags throughout the country. King Parr's records on what types of bags it sold and when were less than optimal. The judge eventually found that it was part of a plan or strategy by King Parr to conceal its infringement. But throughout discovery in the case, we continually had to challenge King Parr's production of documents and its bag counts, even close to trial. And during trial, they brought out new bag numbers and tried to claim they only sold a few hundred thousand bags. Addressing that took a lot of time and effort, especially um, paralegal 
time in tabulating the bags, figuring out which ones were infringing, continually um, asking for new information. Another thing that happened was prior to trial, we had been asking for updated financial information and it wasn't forthcoming. And it turned out Bill Baird had sold King Parr, which was the defendant, and then put the funds in his personal bank account. So actually, at the time, we were trying a case against an entity that, unbeknownst to us, had no assets. And that led to different twists and turns in the case. After the verdict came down, the original verdict was, I think, about $3.2 million. It later became much larger due to a willfulness finding in interest. King Parr filed for bankruptcy. So the case ended up being stayed, the patent infringement case did, and the case um, was litigated in bankruptcy court for a while. And there was an issue of piercing the corporate veil as well, which Neil is going to discuss. Piercing the corporate veil is a concept where you can go after the owner of the company for liability of the company itself. It's fairly uncommon to be able to successfully pierce the corporate veil. Most corporations follow what's called corporate formalities that protect, insulate the owners from individual liability. Mr. Baird chose not to follow any of the corporate formalities. In addition to, as Laura said, taking all the money from the sale of the company and putting it in his own bank account, he had no minutes of board of directors meetings, no corporate resolutions. He commingled funds between the corporation and himself, all eventually leading to the point where we were able to obtain summary judgment to pierce the corporate veil, which was a uh, very successful result for us. It meant that we could, instead of having to chase a bankrupt shell company for the money that was owed to Izzo Golf, we were able to chase the wealthy shareholder owner, Mr. Bill Baird. I'm glad that uh, he wasn't protected from justice. This summer, a federal judge tripled Izzo's initial $3.2 million win and added $1.75 million in prejudgment interest. Can you tell us how that came about? Basically, it's kind of a multi-step process. There's a concept in patent law known as willfulness, which means that the defendant is sort of a pirate. They've kind of copied or pirated the um, plaintiffs or the patent holders' um, invention. At the original trial, the jury found that um, King Parr's conduct was willful, and it was based on numerous factors. Um, One, T.J. Izzo had approached King Parr and offered a license to the patent, and King Parr said no, but then went ahead and sent the bag to its Chinese manufacturers and copied it. King Parr's counsel had also basically opined that he should change the design, but the owner of King Parr, Bill Bear, decided not to, and he even admitted at trial that he knew was infringing. King Parr had also claimed that after Izzo approached King Parr and demanded that it stop manufacturing infringing bags, that it did so, but Izzo proved at trial that it continued manufacturing the bags for years after 
It was warned by Izzo. So basically, um, in reviewing the judgment, the court determined that, that the jury's finding of willfulness was supported by substantial evidence. So that's kind of the predicate for troubling of the verdict. Then the court has to go on and make findings that the, the case merits additional damages besides that awarded by the jury. And the court, looking at everything, found that was the case. The judge looked at many of the same factors the jury did, that King Parr knew of the patent because it had been offered a license and refused it, that King Parr knew of its counsel's opinion and disregarded it, that King Parr kept infringing even after being threatened with a lawsuit or being demanded to stop infringing. The court also noted the shenanigans with the bad counts before and during trial that basically Despite being a large, sophisticated entity, one could infer that King Parr was deliberately trying to conceal some of its infringement because it couldn't provide accurate bag counts and show, you know, what it had actually manufactured. In addition, the court took into account that prior to trial, King Parr seemed to take action to frustrate any judgment of Izzo by having its assets sold out from under it prior to trial. So based on those factors, the court troubled the verdict and also awarded Izzo attorney's fees due to all the frustration and time it took to litigate the case. The second part is prejudgment interest, which in general patent owners are entitled to. So that's more of just calculating when the bags were sold, you know, what was the damage on each bag, and then calculating the interest on that. So $1.75 million was added in prejudgment interest. Sounds like a lot of frustration at many turns, but we stuck with it. And that leads me to our final question, how we might continue to protect our client and stay on top of this case, including chasing the assets held in Swiss bank accounts. So as Laura had said, the judge granted a judgment of $12 million. In the bankruptcy process, Izzo had collected $3.3 million from the defendant. So that left about $8.9 million to be pursued. That was the judgment in the piercing case, $8.9 million, and that's the award granted against Bill Baird. So we now have a $8.9 million judgment against Bill Baird, the owner of King Parr. And as you say, Melissa, there's money overseas as well as assets in the United States. We are pursuing Bill Baird's assets wherever we may find them. He lived in Michigan for quite some time. That's where the King Parr company was based. We are reaching out to banks in Michigan to find money in those in the accounts that we know about. We are pursuing assets in Hawaii where Mr. Baird currently lives. We've engaged law firms in those local jurisdictions to assist us with the Hawaiian and Michigan law. And we know that Mr. Baird has some ties to Thailand and we eventually may have to look internationally there and also in Switzerland where we've recently found that he owns some gold bars. Better than Bitcoin. <laughs> Better than Bitcoin. Uh, kilogram size gold bars. Oh boy. So we are uh, in the process of enforcing the judgment and pursuing those assets. It's a, it's a slow process. 
where we have to do subpoenas to banks, find out what's there, and then garnish the accounts. We're also pursuing discovery for Mr. Baird here back in the Western District of New York. He has so far not cooperated with our discovery request. We filed a motion to compel him to answer the discovery, and he ignored the order compelling him to give us information. We filed a motion for contempt of court. The court granted that motion. Mr. Baird is now in contempt of court for not providing the discovery, the information that we are seeking, and we are waiting for Mr. Baird to comply with the court order to purge his contempt. So this case will continue, and we will actively pursue his assets wherever they are, all the while keeping the client informed of each step in the process and making sure that we do it in a methodical but persistent way. Sounds like persistence is key when protecting clients. I'd like to thank Neil and Laura for joining us today. To explore our intellectual property capabilities or to connect with Neil and Laura, visit harrisbeach.com slash IPlit. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach Podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.